you're now tuned into another episode of The Underground. Each week, we dive into what it means to create, nurture, and live in communities everywhere. This is The Underground with Ryan Moore and Justin Lon Carrick. Welcome, welcome to another episode of The Underground. As I break out my radio voice to start the episode, <laughs> welcome to WYRZ Burlington. Ryan, how are you today? What's up, bud? I'm on fire. I'm in a good mood. I can't complain. You're in a good mood. I'm indifferent. It's It was just snowing outside. <laughs> April. April snow. April showers. What are they? Is there a... Is there a fairy tale for that? April or? snow brings something unhappiness. Yeah. I don't know, but my thing is the right now in normal times I would be one or two weeks out. I go to Florida usually end of April, beginning of May. Mm. So in normal times there'd be an extra little hop skip in my step there because I'd to be Florida. starting my one or two week countdown to vacation. Not this year. Not this year. We're just waiting for the locusts to arrive this year. <laughs> basically oh, what's yeah. happening <laughs> get some of those yeah yeah frogs toes boils on your face who knows but um, justin i do have a bit of news to share with you okay go for it so you know in the last one we mentioned how my dad is down in florida yes and he's was in a hockey tournament in florida yes he was in the national men's league championship it's in tampa bay so the national championship for the all of us i was gonna say so that's an entire country involved in this championship Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's get everyone in one location mm-hmm. from across the country. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, he's fully vaccinated, by the way. Fair but enough. so he has a team that he plays out of in Fort Myers. They won their division and oh. they got invited to the Tampa tournament. Mm. He won. They won it all and he got named defenseman of the tournament. Come on. Yeah. All right. So you got to bring that plaque home. Uh, the American National Championship and a Canadian one. That's amazing. MVP defenseman. That is amazing. <laughs> MVP defenseman. That's amazing. Well, your dad's an amazing hockey. Like he's a great skater. So oh, yeah. it doesn't surprise me that. Yeah, he. It's almost un- like I mean he is sixty one years old now, but like he plays in the forty plus division. So goes to say something when you're in the forty plus division and you're the defenseman of the tournament. But you know what? He was uh, Darnell Nurse's coach when he was seven years old. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, like that's that that there shows you exactly what what your pedigree is and how it works. So there you go. You beat a bunch of Americans at hockey. I love it. Uh, well, is there any other way? There's no other way. It's that's just it makes me smile. <laughs> I got a question for you though. Yeah. What is the craziest athletic type thing that you've done outside of hockey? Like sort of like. Have you climbed a mountain? Have you, you know, hmm. surfed on, you know, in Hawaii or something like that? What anything crazy? I haven't done anything too too crazy athletic. I used to in the summer. I used to do Olympic style canoe and kayaking, but that was like training and I was racing, so it wasn't like an adventure. It was like you would show up to the same two kilometer stretch of river every day and practice. Right. I've done like the portaging and stuff up north and through canoeing and stuff. I, I kind of like that. I don't always like it when my partner with my portage doesn't know what they're doing in canoeing because then I kind of just take over and control the whole thing, which yeah. isn't that much fun for me because I kind of I know exactly 
what I'm doing at the back of a canoe, at the helm of a canoe. But the craziest adventure thing I'd have to say is when I was in Sarnia, it's hockey, of course, but in training camp, they took us uh, out into the woods. There were a couple cabins set up. I don't even know where we were. And we had an army officer, an army sergeant, drill sergeant come and gave us a weekend of army camping, not camping, but like boot camp type stuff. So you train like you were in the army for hockey. Which you hear yeah, about a lot like, because it's team building and yeah, yeah. It was wake up, make your bed, and then everyone. There was like six guys to a cabin. It wasn't like real barracks. It was like an actual camp that right. we were at. But then they did army stuff. So like our cabins had like were just had like cots in them, and you had to make your bed, and then you would get points on whoever had the best cabin at the beginning of the day. Then you go and do your workout. You got points. There was a challenge at the end of the workout. You get points for that. Hmm. And there were point systems, but it was an army style. So I don't, uh, army guys, I have full respect for you. We probably were like 50% or less of what yeah. you guys are actually doing at boot right. camp. Right. And we were like getting bagged by this. So I'll tell you mine and mine has a bit of a backstory to it. And, you know, I think we've kind of teased it on the show before that I've, we've talked about sort of thrown out that I've done this, but a bunch of years ago, I walked up the stairs in my house and I got out of breath at the top of the stairs and we already had kids at the time. And I was like, I don't want to die just walking up the stairs to my house and I need to do something to get fit. So I Googled, I Googled those mud races, right? The tough mud or something or other. Yeah. And at the very bottom of the page, there was, and I scrolled all the way through because I was like, ah, tough mutter, everybody's doing it. Scrolled all the way through and I found this thing called the Wilderness Traverse. It was the very last thing on the Google page. And this is called an adventure race. And what adventure racing is, is it's a multi-sport discipline and it can be many different things based on you know, where you are in the area you're in because the terrain will be different wherever you are. This particular one was mountain biking, canoeing, and trekking or running in Perry Sound area up in that sort of Canadian Shield kind of country, middle of nowhere area up there. And I was like, that sounds interesting. Let's look into that. So long story short, I found a friend of mine who was in real estate, who's in mortgage brokering actually, who had already done it before. In fact, this friend is still on the front page of the Wilderness Traverse website as well. If you go to his, if you go to the website, wildernesstraverse.ca, I think it is. And we just, we put a a team together and we did that race. And this was 24 hours, 24 to 30 hours, 150 kilometers of biking, trekking, and canoeing all straight in a row, starting at 8 a.m. Saturday morning, finishing whenever you finish on Sunday and just getting it done and not stopping and sleeping and not none of this stuff. How long prep time? This is, I I don't right recall you were walking upstairs and couldn't keep your breath. Yeah, that's well, that's when it started. That's when the discussion started. But <laughs> it was literally so. I think the race that we had done with at that time they had done they held it in July at the time, and I think we had started the whole process in like late winter, early spring is when we started discussing it. Now the question I always yeah, ask a myself: Couple months. But. Yeah, I had a few months. I, I had to go buy a bike right away. I had to figure all st- a bunch <laughs> of stuff out. The question I constantly ask myself is: Why didn't I find some shorter events to do before I did the long event? I thought Be- that was going. Why didn't I find some shorter shorts? Oh, well, those would not have helped either. Uh, hey, look good, feel good, play good, Justin. <laughs> Trust me, those would not have helped either. I'm telling you, no, no thigh. You don't <laughs> no. want to show the thigh. Oh, the amount of scratches and. Just don't get me started. And mosquito bites and so on. The, 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 the race itself was, just to give you a really quick synopsis, 
we didn't finish the first race we did at four in the morning. It was pouring rain and had been raining for, I don't know, hours uh, since the sun went down. So let's call it in July might be around what? Nine, nine thirty. the sun goes down and it was raining at f- from then till about four in the morning. We were soaked. We had made a bad decision on, I have to add to this all the, by the way, they don't give you a course route. They just give you the checkpoints. You have to make it there on your own with a compass and a map, by the way. So you don't, you don't know which way to go. You just have to figure out which way to go. And so by the time we got to this checkpoint that we ended up quitting at, it had been raining for hours. We kind of, we lost a team member to an injury. We had to wait for that guy. We went a long way around something that we never should have gone. It was a bad decision to do that. And at the end of the day, we just were mentally drained from the whole thing. It was probably one of the most insane moments of my life thinking about being in that thing. I had 11 blisters on one foot. We talked about this injury before when we talked about the injury episode. I had 11 blisters on, on my feet. I had, you know, scratches, bumps, and bruises. My arms looked like Swiss cheese from the mosquitoes. But I got out of the race, and as soon as I got home, I was like, when's the next one? There was something about what we did in that moment and even though we didn't finish and the distance we got to and everything that went along with the whole thing that got us to that point that made me want to do it again. And I don't, I just, it's the funniest part about all of this is come full circle to, I'll kind of just segue straight into our guest here. Last year, a show was released on Amazon called Eco Challenge Fiji, the tough, the world's toughest race. And this is not the first time this eco challenge has been held. It was held, I don't know, 17 or so years ago. And before that, and they, they shut that version of the race down and they had other world world series and world championships of these races. But the eco challenge returned last year for the first time in 17 years. And the creator of the wilderness traverse, which is the race I did participated in this eco challenge in Fiji. And so because I got to know Bob through a bit of training for the Wilderness Traverse and through the race and, and everything else, because he's such a great guy and he just gives his time to everybody, which is amazing. And people that want to learn, he loves to help because the sport is, is still like a growing sport. He's here and he's willing, he wants to share a story. He wants to talk a little bit about adventure racing. So we thought we'd bring him on. Bob Miller, should I give it away? Am I allowed to give it away? Second For place, sure. f- second place finisher in the Eco Challenge World's Toughest Race, representing Canada. Woo! That's amazing. I love that. That I mean, goosebumps <laughs> just thinking about that. Bob, how are you today? Yeah, yeah, really good. Thanks for having me on, guys. This is cool. So, I guess, Bob, my first question is: How did you get into adventure racing? I saw the show. I saw Eco Challenge when it first came out you know, late nineties. And I thought, damn, I want to try that someday. (laughs) So (laughs) luckily at the time there were a bunch of shorter races, similar to wilderness traverse that you're talking about taking place in Ontario. So, you know, same thing, grab some friends, put a team together and started trying some out. But my background was like most kids. I grew up playing hockey, soccer, baseball, all that stuff. I didn't get into endurance sports. It's funny that Ryan mentioned the paddling club, that's awesome. One of my teammates for Eco Challenge, he paddled, I think he was out of the Mississauga Canoe Club. I don't know where Ryan paddled out of. I was out of Burl Oak. Yeah, he may have paddled at Burl Oak, but we need good paddlers in adventure races. So he was <laughs> very, very helpful. Scott Ford, he was one of my teammates. But yeah, he, he's a coach at 
some of the clubs now. But anyways, yeah, so that was my background, like team sports growing up. But then I saw this show and I got into a little bit of endurance racing after university, kind of like a friend, like drunken bet, let's run a marathon kind of thing. And we suffered through some of those and and I tried some triathlons and then this came along and, you know, it it involved the outdoors, which I always loved. And it, it brought the team aspect to endurance sports, which you don't see very often because normally endurance sports are individual team, individual pursuits. So, you know, there was a team of four, it has to be co-ed and kind of that combination of the team aspect, the wilderness and these, you know, exotic locations around the world just kind of sucked me in and I was at it for, you know, 15 years racing all over the world. At the highest levels too. I mean, you've raced with some of the world's best teams. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We, we had some good runs on, on some different teams and this race in Fiji was, was really cool because we were kind of a new team myself and my other teammate, Scott, who I mentioned earlier, the paddler, we kind of were from that old school, whereas uh, our two new teammates were completely new to adventure racing but they come from the obstacle course racing world, like you were mentioning, the mm-hmm. Tough Mudders and, and that. But we they're they're very accomplished. Like Ryan Atkins, he's like one of the best in the world. Him he and I became friends working on some events. And we always thought it would be cool to team up and go on one of these big adventures. So we had kind of two rookies to expedition racing and, and it was entertaining because most of the teams at Eco Challenge, like the old, you know, top teams in the World Series. They'd more or less written us off because we had these newcomers and experience means so much in these sports. But yeah, we still came through and had this awesome, awesome race. Bob, I want to ask, where where are you from originally? Where did you grow up? Because these adventure races seem to be very much wilderness and, and kind of find your way type of stuff. So I'm just interested to know, where did you find up? Were you a city boy? Were you a country boy? Like, where did this yeah. <laughs> wilderness stuff come from with you? Nah, suburbia, <laughs> Unionville. <laughs> so just north of Toronto there. But Home uh, of Stephen Stamkos. Yeah, totally. we always got to relate it back to yeah. hockey somehow. I don't know. <laughs> right on, yeah. My uh, in-laws, they're all buddies with Steve and his family. And yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. But um, yeah, so it, I went to Unionville High School and there was an outdoor ed program at the high school that I took part in. And that had a big influence on getting me started in the outdoors with canoe tripping and, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So walk me through a little bit about the the eco challenge itself, because I, I rewatched the episodes last week in kind of preparation for this because I wanted to sort of get my head in it again. And it just re-sparked the, the need for me to want to race again at some point. So this is going to happen, I'm sure. I'm calling it out right now on the podcast. I'm going to be racing again as soon as we can. Even though I'm not good at it, I'm just pointing that out as well. I'm just doing it. And we'll discuss that in a minute. So it the, when you race for six days, so this race was, well, your race was six or seven days, wasn't it? Because I think that's when the finishers kind of finished. Yeah, I think we finished on the sev- morning of the seventh day. Right. And so, so when you race for seven days, it's obviously not a sprint. This is a long thing. This is a, you know, slow and steady almost kind of mindset. Not slow, but steady mindset. You're not blowing it out. It really felt like your race was that. It was like you just plugged through and just got it done. There wasn't any major errors navigationally. You didn't have any major issues with, or maybe I'm missing something because you didn't have anybody embedded with you. (laughs) But, uh, 
but like it felt it really felt like you just plugged along and it was like at one point you were third and fourth and fifth and then it was like you were then all of a sudden boom near the end you kind of just pulled away from from the second place guys yeah i mean we definitely had a a relatively clean race we were it was kind of funny that the race started with a big paddle and then got to an island if you watch that episode that's where all the teams had heat exhaustion and heat stroke yes we weren't a fantastic paddling team, so we maybe got to that island in about 15th place, so we were doing okay, but then our big strength in this race was running and our mm-hmm. foot speed, and we actually left that island in first when it was done, and we paddled away. We didn't even know we had right. passed all those teams because we got to a transition, but it kind of showed what we were going to be capable of because with the new team, we really didn't know as well what was going to happen, but Basically, we floated in the top five for the majority of the race after that first island trek. But we definitely had some errors later in the race, which kind of cost us uh, a better shot at, at the at the win. It would have been the fifth night, so the second last night of the race, we had probably a four to six hour navigation blunder. And it, was, it wasn't that we didn't know where we were, but we were trying to find a trail that was kind of described in this location and we just couldn't get on the right trail and we ended up in the bush and this high grass and we just basically went in circles for like this is like you know in the middle of the night on the fifth night and the big thing that that cost us was sleep that night we didn't end up sleeping on that fifth night we stopped for about a half an hour once we got back on track and we actually thought we'd dropped a whole bunch of spots we were in second place before this mistake but that was also kind of a great thing our team had was you know, our positive outlook. We had this big mistake. We lost that sleep. We slept a half hour and then got up with the sun and we were like, all right, what's done is done. Let's keep hammering. And and we ran our asses off like to get to this next camp where we had to go. And we got there and we found out we were still in second, (laughs) which we couldn't believe. Wow. Well, and you weren't (laughs) that far ahead of the Australians. Was it the Australians right behind you? Right. Yeah. They had stopped to sleep earlier that night and that's when we passed them when they had stopped to sleep so we had no idea where they were we assumed they were quite close behind us but thankfully we never saw them again for the next day and a half until we got to the finish and we found out at the finish that they were only like 20 minutes behind which mm. is like insane yeah. for an event of that length that's right yeah. yeah what was the what was the culture shock like because fiji that's like a completely different climate setting island jungle all that stuff and you said you were lost at day five you're already probably gassed from the days before you're out in the bush you, you you miss a trail or you're not finding the trail that you need to find what was that culture shock like like we're not in canada anymore and i'm in some tropical jungle <laughs> in the middle of the ocean fiji the fijian culture is one of the most amazing cultures in the world like the friendliness the positive outlook they're just so happy And a lot of them still live in, you know, basically huts in the hills, like little villages. And they have little communal schools, like just these awesome communities. But they're so happy and they'll do anything for you. So we had a, I mean, that was most people that did the event will tell you that that was probably the highlight was getting immersed in that culture and seeing the way they live and then trying to take those lessons back and, you know, improving the way we look on things and the way we live back here, because it was, it was just awesome. So yeah, like we could be in the middle of the night and, you know, you're walking through someone's village and they'll come out and want to help you and (laughs) and point you in the right direction or give you food. I mean, people slept in people's huts. It was like, 
it was awesome. It was really, really cool. So there was two things that really, well, I guess by part, you know, by proxy, three things, but two things that really got me. One was the rain. We talked about that in our race in the wilderness traverse. Like it rained a lot that first year and it really demoralized the crap out of us. And it seemed to rain a bunch in Fiji while you were there. And a lot of the sort of middle to back teams got caught up in that mud in the, on their mountain bikes because of the rain. Did you, did that bug you at all? Like, did that have an effect on you guys racing or were you, were you further ahead of that? Uh, a little bit. So there was a couple times when the rain played a big factor. It was on, I guess it was the second, would have been the second day in the afternoon when the first big torrential storm came through. We were quite lucky. We were still in that top five. So we'd gotten through that canyon you might have remembered on mm-hmm. in the second or third episode yeah. where they basically had to close down the course. They pulled everyone off. But we were in, you know, amongst that top six teams that made it through that canyon. And basically they stopped us partway down the river when we were paddling the billy billy rafts, like the bamboo rafts with the poles. Right. So they restarted the next day, but those six teams that made it through that canyon had about, I want to say it was probably an eight-hour lead on everyone else. So barring anything unforeseen, we kind of knew that the podium should come from those top six teams that made it through. So that was that was something that worked in our favor big time. And then the next day, more rain came. And you're right, they showed those uh, muddy roads and, and just the, the quagmire and the heinous bike <laughs> yeah. carrying. and. Yeah. It was, it was wet for us going through there, but it was raining that night. We were going through probably 10, 11 o'clock on the, would have been the third night of the race. And it was getting muddy and we had to carry our bikes a bit. But I think the longer it went on, the worse it got for the teams behind us. So it was crappy for us, but nowhere near as bad as it was for the teams in the back. That and I, the, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say the other spot where the rain got teams was, those really cold pools. So that's the second thing that, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. The waterfall that, that you, so this waterfall was your nemesis really. And then at the top of the waterfall, because was it the Japanese team that, that had to back out because of their trench foot or, or, you know, that, what what's the name of that thing that gets in your foot? Yeah. The, the jungle foot. That was, that was pretty awesome how they showed them getting airlifted out where, the person was having to get like wheelbarrowed basically yeah. someone's holding their feet and they're walking on their hands. Yeah. That <laughs> was getting... incredible. Yeah. But like that. So it, yeah, you're right. You're alluded to like my nemesis and I was lucky enough. I got into the sport, like I said, kind of late nineties, early two thousands. And there might've been six or seven eco challenges before the last one that took place in Fiji as well in 2002. And then we were on a rookie team in that event and we dropped out at the top of those waterfalls with exactly the same thing, the trench foot. So <laughs> it was, I was, when they showed the course, well, we got the course kind of given to us in stages. Like every couple of days we would get another set of maps and we'd figure out where we we're going. And then it showed we were going back through the same spot. I was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like that valley is just horrific. And it happened again this year. Like so many teams got the jungle foot rot and, they had it, seems to drop like they might, it seems like they might like that little aspect. The producers yeah. of the show might yeah. like that little drama-ness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is it because your foot is like you're submerged in water for that long? Is that the idea? Like you're just so wet for so long? Uh, I think that's a part of it. I do think it's a fungus that 
lives in the mud and in the water up in that area. And when I got it in 2002, it started out as just like, I thought I had some rocks in my shoe. So I stopped to clean out my shoe and I looked at my foot and I had these little red dots, maybe like five or six. And then we did the waterfall then and I got to the top and it kind of still was annoying. So I took my shoe off again. And then I had probably like 50 red dots, like a couple hours later. And then, you know, the problem is it's a fungus and it lives in a wet environment. Right. So unless you can get out of that wet environment and dry your foot out, <laughs> like you're kind of stuck with this fungus that's continuously eating your flesh, basically, <laughs> as it's going along. Because like Yuck. 12 hours later, my whole foot was covered in this red, like fungal rot. It was just, and it was just so painful. You can't walk. It's like walking on fire and ice and, or sorry, fire and glass. And like, oh, it's just like the most excruciating thing. So... Yeah, when they showed that Japanese team, that's exactly how you feel. You basically can't walk. And there were people in wheelchairs after the race because they mm. couldn't walk. And yeah, it's an awful thing. So you've you've had to pull out of this race before because of those issues or? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we did the race in 2002 and it was in Fiji uh, as well. So yeah, two of our teammates on that team, we dropped out. I and mean, it was at the same spot that they, like I said, they sent us through this this past event. So we learned from that mistake quite well on, on, you know, jungle travel and what to do. Like we were treating our feet with these antifungal, antibacterial ointments and things all through the race. We would stop and make sure we took, took care of that. I mean, foot care is actually a big thing in, in these races when you're going for that many days. You, you can't have blisters and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that or else you just get in a lot of trouble. I went to Disney World once for four days in a row. And I can imagine <laughs> my feet after that were... <laughs> No, yeah, I'm just that, my, this compares. My feet, getting back to the hotel after a day like that, I it, it was my feet were like insane. Oh, I can only imagine God. trekking through a jungle with fungus and stuff. This was walking through perfectly manicured concrete paths. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, so you get to the top of Vua Falls, and you get to these these pools, this little river, or these pools at the top. That looked horrendous. Like I'm, I'm not a cold. I don't like being cold. I don't mind it, but I don't like being cold. I've never seen anything like that. So it seemed like you guys made it through pretty well. A lot of teams got hammered by that thing. Yeah, we got, I mean, in the grand scheme, we got lucky. Um, We went through during the day and it was a reasonably nice day. It wasn't raining. The sun would come out every now and again, but it was still quite cold. And the problem was we'd been in the heat for like the four days leading up to that. So you're acclimatized to this really hot weather. Right. And then it was actually quite, quite high up. I think the mountain range goes over like 1500 meters up there and it does snow from time to time. So those pools were pretty cold. They're probably like 10 degrees or something like that. But when you'd been so hot for so long, um, the first one kind of feels nice. You're like, ah, oh, it's like an ice bath. It's like, okay, this is good. But then you just like, you keep going and you're like, how long am I going to be in this for? And then you start shivering. And then the the other problem was you you literally couldn't get out of the river once you were in. Yeah. That was for for context. Like it was the jungle on either side just seemed so dense. There was nowhere Uh, to go. Totally. And I'm walking along the side there, just 
trying to feel the bottom for any little bit of purchase so I can get the upper half of my body out of the water to get some warmth for like 10 seconds before you go back in. So it was brutal. We were, we were shivering pretty bad by the time we got to the end. Um, I'll give you a hint. You, you need to have a little more body mass in the form of fat like I do because you ultra <laughs> runners. Buoyancy. Yeah, you ultra runners and racers don't have enough fat on you to, to stay warm in those scenarios. Yeah. <laughs> doing true. a pin drop into a pool. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's incredible. So then from, from there on, it seems like that was kind of the downhill moment of like, that was the worst of it. And aside from you getting lost in the middle of the night th- from the, from what the producers put on the screen, it looked like everyone kind of had a bit of an easier time aside from that. Uh, to a degree, it got really hot. They didn't focus too much. I don't think they had many cameras on the trek. There was another big trek after that section. You did mm. some stand-up paddleboarding, and then you did this big trek right. where we made the mistake. And they showed a little bit of the teams making mistakes. But there was a trek and then another big mountain bike leg, and it got really, really hot, mm. um, like oppressively hot. We would be biking along, and you'd see a river, and you just jump in to cool off, and then you kind of keep going along. So the heat came back uh, to play into play. And then they didn't. I was surprised they didn't use anything of our last night of the race because we kind of dug ourselves into that hole with the sleep deprivation on the fifth night. We got to the last stage and it was like, I don't know, it was almost a 40 kilometer paddle out into the ocean to finish. But we got there, it was probably like nine or 10 o'clock at night. And we knew we were going to have to just try and paddle through that night. But we also knew the sleep deprivation was going to be a big factor. And it really was. We just could not stay awake. While we were paddling, you'd be paddling, falling asleep, almost fall in. You kind of startle, startle, startle yourself awake. And it was like hundreds of times that was happening over and over. But we knew we just had to get to this finish line. So it was like, come on, come on. And we made a small navigation mistake going out to these islands. You're paddling offshore in the dark and you're trying to follow a compass bearing. And we got a little bit north of where we wanted to be. And then the waves got really big. We kind of had a plan that we would sleep in the bottom of the boat. Uh, while three people paddle, one person would sleep, but the waves were too big. They would just crash over the boat and wake you up. So it was just like, <laughs> it was definitely the hardest part for us as a team. Cause we, we did get in a little bit of arguments and we were like trying to figure out where to go. And luckily we got it sorted and got to that finish line, but that was easily the worst part of the race mentally for our team was just trying to get to that finish line. Cause kind of everything had piled up on us and we were like, we knew the finish was there and we knew we were in it with a shot definitely at the podium maybe even the win once we saw what happened to the new zealand team mm. but yeah that was that was brutal how close did you end up to the new zealand team it was only like an hour and a half mm. that's not a lot when you consider seven days of racing that's, <laughs> uh, that's really close yeah well yeah. I, that's if we crazy had, if we didn't make the mistake the night before and we could have paddled that leg took us like nine hours to paddle and it would normally take us five or six like if we were fresh so I think if we had, I mean, you can think about all the what ifs, but we could have been in a better, better place to get there quicker with, with more sleep. So yeah, but it was crazy. We, we thought they were four or five hours ahead. It would have been a crappy way to win. Ryan, yeah. you didn't watch the show, but this New Zealand team, they were ahead by like four or five hours and their boat basically fell apart in the it middle sunk. of the ocean. <laughs> they sunk their boat. Rescued. Oh, it was incredible. Yeah. They, they needed There's probably sharks in them waters too. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> But yeah, they My, called uh, they called for rescue and they had to get a new boat out there. So they had to sit and wait, literally. So you've just finished seven days of all this grueling stuff in the middle of the Fijian jungles and oceans and you get to the finish line. 
now if that's me, I get to the finish line. It's relief that I'm there. But Fiji is this like tourist, like gorgeous place to visit. When after seven days of doing what you did, I imagine there's a recuperation process before you fully get to enjoy the island on that level. Am I right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. First of all, the relief of getting to the finish line and the jubilation of like, this thing is over and we can sit down in a chair, sleep in a normal bed, like all the things that we take for granted in our day-to-day lives, they, they just bring so much more meaning. Like you just respect them so much more. It's really a cool sensation, but yeah, you're like, I was messed up for like a month after the race with my sleep patterns. I couldn't get it back to sleeping through the night. It was, it was, it was a bit of a mess after this race. But you're at least a couple days of basically the <laughs> there was a host hotel for the athletes and they had a breakfast buffet that went from like 6 a.m. to like 10 or 11 a.m. So basically we would be up for 6 a.m., hit the breakfast buffet, pig out, go back to sleep, get up just before 10 a.m. to hit the bre- breakfast buffet again, <laughs> go back to sleep, you're just eating horrendous amounts of food because you've been deprived for so long. Well, you're just using the energy. It's not that you were deprived. We ate tons, but um, yeah, it's just the deficit that your body's in. And then the sleep is the other big thing. You're just sleeping everywhere and anywhere. Um, it's, it's laughable. So speak to that because they didn't really, when it came to how they portrayed the top teams, they didn't really show the top team sleeping at all. And so it really almost made it feel like the top teams didn't sleep, which doesn't seem realistic. (laughs) Well, it really doesn't seem realistic because the middle and the back teams, they would show them stopping and taking a few hours. There was a few teams that would almost sleep every night for several hours. And it felt like New Zealand and the, the teams that kept up with New Zealand, Canada and Australia and those just sort of flew through and were like not sleeping. But that isn't true, right? No, not at all. They actually, they didn't touch on this nuance of the race, but we had to take, I think it was five mandatory four-hour sleeps during the course of the race. Mm. So you kind of had to cash them in. You had to say like, okay, we're taking a sleep break at this checkpoint or this transition area or wherever we were. Got it. But it was funny the way it worked out for the top teams. Usually the way sleep works, no one's, no one goes into the race thinking they're going to sleep the first night. So you race through the first 24 hours and then you'll start sleeping anywhere from, you know, two to four hours, depending how long the race is each night thereafter. That kind of lets you still function somewhat coherently and keep racing, but that'll get you to like maybe five or six days. And then you really kind of fall off the deep end. Like we had on that last night, but you would need more. But anyways, the top teams, we got stopped that second night because of the, the, the big rainstorm and they pulled us off the river. So we all probably got like five to six hours of sleep on the second night. Mm. And then we hit a dark zone before the whitewater rafting for safety. They don't let you whitewater raft in the dark right. on the next night. So the third night we had another like five, six hours of sleep mm. and we got to use up a lot of those sleep credits. So after the, I guess it would have been the fourth night we took our last sleep credit. We were kind of free of having to sleep the rest of the race but that's kind of how the sleep played out for us. So we ended up, I think, with 15 or 16 hours of sleep over the almost seven days of racing. But we took it all on. Most of it came on the second and third nights. So it was kind of interesting how it played out. I didn't discover caffeine pills until the third race, the third Wilderness Traverse I did. The first two, we never used them. I don't know why I didn't or if I should have. 
on the third race I did, it was middle of the night. I don't even remember exactly where I remember being on a road and one of my teammates going, Hey, just take one. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I took one and I was like, okay, this is great. Okay. Let's, why didn't I do this before? Is this something that you guys do out there as well Is or, or is that something that because of the length of this style race, it's just not feasible? No, we, we, we have caffeine pills for sure. And Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't work. It's kind of like getting a strong cup of coffee. It'll wake you up a little bit. That last night, we were trying everything we could to stay awake. Ryan made some awful, like, instant coffee drink mix that we were passing around, and it was just, like, (laughs) awful. And we're singing songs, we're playing trivia, we're just doing anything to try and keep our minds awake, but we were just so tired at that point. But, yeah, caffeine pills are used probably by a fair number of the teams in the race. So I guess it sounds like there's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of mental stuff that goes on during these races. I think one thing that struck me and it, I've been in it, so I kind of get it. These people that you're watching on this screen, when they're talking about, you know, people are breaking out into tears regularly, just put it that way. And it's, and it's like this internal journey they go on when they go on these races, there's a whole other level of this racing that is like this exploratory journey inside themselves to continue to move forward and to continue to push forward in this race. I don't know if you can speak to that at all. I mean, that's, that's where you guys were at on the last day where it's like, listen, we just got to get this done. How do we do that? We have to build, you know, really come from within kind of thing to get this done. Your, your athleticism only takes you so far. Now it's up here where does that play into it for, for everyone? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of topics you could explore when you're getting into the the mental side. And, you know, I think for the show, they do that on purpose. They, they break you down with this event and they make you so tired and so depleted that you become a lot more emotional Mm -hmm. and you'll cry during these races, almost a given just because you've pushed yourself to that breaking point. But then you touched on this earlier where you said you did Wilderness Traverse and, you know, you came out of it and then you wanted to go back and do it again. Well, you had just come through something with your teammates and it's something that you share together. So there's this team camaraderie that you get from these races as well. That's pretty amazing. And it's, you could get it doing anything that involves hardship, but when you go through something hard with a team, no matter what it is, you know, you always have that sense of, community i guess amongst those teammates or even all the other the other people that were in the event or whatever it was you were doing so there's so many really neat things that you draw from on a mental side to get through these things the the thing that i remember the most mostly from the second race the first race i was hurting like my feet were hurt like i had tons of blisters it was very difficult and i didn't actually realize that i was in that much pain until after we stopped racing And then I was like, oh, crap, this is way more painful than I thought it was. And this is way worse than I thought it was. Anyway, that being said, the second race, we dropped out of that race. We got demoralized. Well, first of all, we had a nav error. We had to check in, and and you guys basically DQ'd us. We got back to the the next checkpoint. We found our way. But you had said to us, you can continue the race. You'll just just be finished as a a non-qualified finisher kind of thing. And we were like, okay. We made a call to pull out. But I think... It was like one of those things where emotionally and mentally we were drained. But once we had quit, I just remember standing around a campfire at one of the checkpoints, laughing and joking with everybody and having a great time thinking, 
why did we quit? Like 10 <laughs> minutes ago, we were in the shit where our heads were in like a weird place and we couldn't figure this out. And now we're standing here drinking coffee and whatever around this campfire, like, hey, life is great. And I'm like, why did we quit? Like there's such yeah. a weird dynamic of what your mind allows you to do and what you're, what you're capable of that you don't realize, I think. Uh, and it's true. I mean, it's easy to quit, right? It, it's you're out and you're like, okay, I, I don't have to suffer anymore. Mm. It's over. But one of the teams, Team Bend, that they focused on in the show, they were really good at this. I mean, they've raced enough that they know what to do. I bet you, and I, I've probably gotten better as an event director to help teams through scenarios like that. But basically, if you can just stop, you know, whether it's an, stop for an hour or two hours and, you know, sit down and rethink what's going on and maybe get a little bit of rest and some perspective. Because when you're in it and you're really suffering, all you can think about is quitting. Mm. But then once you quit, like you said, you're a couple hours later or the next day, you're like, ah, oh, why did I quit? It's mm. like the worst thing. So it's the one piece of advice I'd love to give new teams going into the race. Just stop for even like if you can. In the really long races, you can stop for like half a day sometimes, mm. you know, rest, recuperate, deal with what's dragging you down and then, you know, think about it. But that also brings up the mental side of the race and what people do when it gets really tough mentally. And largely, it's a, it's a mental decision that's going to bring you out of the race. I mean, the, the physical stuff is hard. I mean, there's big injuries that happen. But for the most part, they're just nagging, annoying things that aren't life-threatening or anything like that. And they just are annoying enough that they make you drop out. So, yeah, I mean, we use a bunch of mental tricks when we're in the races where it's like, you know, we know it's going to be – if we're in a really hard section, we know it's going to be hard for everyone else. Mm. And we're like, okay, we got to relish the really, really hard stuff and think like, okay, this is where, you know, it's a cheesy saying where the going gets tough kind of thing. But we really got to think about the stuff that's going to get us through. And that stuff is, you know, the stuff that gets us through is what we're doing there in the first place. All the sacrifices we've made leading up to it, our families that we've left behind and, you know, you know why we're there and who we want to make proud. We know people are watching back home. So we start to think about that stuff. And it kind of helps change your mindset when you're thinking about quitting. So yeah, there's things that we use like that that help us. <laughs> it's very interesting how you just said, how you, how you lay it out. Now, these are very two extremely different things, but it's similar to golf in a, in a sense how when you go out in an 18-hole golf course in a competition, there are holes, there are sections where you're like, okay, I'm going to birdie this one. This is my opportunity to pull away from the crowd. Everyone else might go for five on this one. I'm going for four, you know, and, and like you said, how, how you kind of plan, okay, this section here, let's keep pace. This section here, keep pace. This one's tough, but maybe we are, have some expertise in this area that we can maybe excel through where I'm, where, where I see my mental fall down with me competing in anything like these is uh, when it gets warmer out, I sink further back into my chair and want a beer more and more and more. <laughs> I think that's where if I'm heading up north in, in the middle of August or July, my my sights are set on a Muskoka chair and a Bud Light in my hand. So, But I think if I were to enter into one of these races, my competitive side would probably take over a little bit. I have a little bit of a different mentality once you put a, put a carrot in front of my face. There's a great show by two Canadians. I don't know where you can find it. You'll have to figure it out. It's called Boundless. And there's an episode where they do a running race through Thailand and an ultra marathon running race through Thailand. And one of the competitors in this race is a, is a German guy who 
you know, he's got a barrel. Like this guy's not like a super fit dude and he's running this race and he's drinking beer the whole time. So we can make that, we can make that happen. My man, (laughs) I don't know. You can put a beer in your camel pack or whatever, your camel backpack, you know, and figure it out. (laughs) Well, what we can do here is the checkpoints will be beer stores and LCBOs across Ontario. (laughs) I'll hop on a bike (laughs) and uh, we can just do a beer crawl. I like the the golf analogy. I played a lot of golf growing up too, and I'd never I've never compared expedition racing, but I like that. I definitely see the the similarities. And yeah, I know it's it's kind of crazy. They're like two completely different things. But like when you're going out into a golf tournament or championship, yeah, you know, stay with the pack on these holes. Can't fall behind on these holes. And then there's holes where you have opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's and interesting. The big thing with golf is it's an incredibly mental sport as well. Totally, like it's all about those tiny little nuances but it's a head game it's totally a head game and i've definitely it sounds cheesy but i've used stuff i've learned in golf and expedition racing for sure well think about the idea of tiger coming up on somebody on sunday you know uh you know a couple corner yeah well amen amen corner on a sunday this is my point and and it's the same thing i mean we you you know the the new zealand team was out there with their boat sinking in the water thinking that canada was right on their tail freaking out I mean, that plays into their, into their mind as to what's going on with their game and they start getting frustrated and things start happening. It's just incredible. There's a lot of incredible stories actually in that race that, that you were involved in in Fiji there. I wanted to bring that up. First of all, is Ben, if Ben doesn't get heat stroke, do they vie for the, one of the top spots? Are they that uh, good? Are they that good a team? Like, I don't, I, it's hard to, it was hard to tell. Like, so the way I kind of saw the show, there was probably about, 20 or 30 teams that they chose from the adventure racing world series. So there's like a a world series and a world championships that happens in this sport every year. And of those, you know, 20 or 30 teams, there's probably 10 or 15 that could vie for the podium. And they're in that, they're in that group for sure. Cool. So I don't know. It's, so much crazy stuff can happen in these races. You never know. Well, <laughs> and they and the up. things that they did for the camera, I'm sure, like the Macy's. I mean, like that. Those two guys, Mark and I mean, the guy with Alzheimer's, Travis. Travis. Oh my God, what an incredible story! I mean, I was bawling my eyes out because I've got two boys as well, and I'm just sitting here thinking, Oh my God, like just that story was amazing. Just so many cool moments that they brought. I mean, obviously they did it a bit for the show, but it still was an amazing experience and. I mean, these guys are 60 odds years old. Like, I mean, and they're out there doing their thing. Okay. They didn't finish fine, but they still ran a hell of a race for that age range. I know a lot of 60 year olds that aren't doing what they're doing. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's, that's what the show is all about. It, I mean, the race is secondary to showing the human interest and, you know, those stories and the stuff that they draw out and the things that we can learn from them. But yeah, with Mark and, and Travis Macy, that was easily, that, for me, it was the same thing. That was what I thought was the most compelling thing. Mm. And, and Travis is a friend of mine. I've actually raced with Travis in the past, but I had no idea what happened to them in the race until we saw the show. Mm. We talked to them a little bit afterwards, but you don't really comprehend. And I was just blown away. You can't and write that script. See, you can't write that script. Yeah. No. <laughs> it was like amazing. father, son, and how good of a son Mark has raised and just the whole, everything that was going on there was incredible. Even the two teammates that were so on board with the yes. whole scenario, yeah. right? Like, I mean, I'm, I can only imagine the frustration in moments because of what you're going through and it's not 
things go through your head during these races that you don't anticipate and sometimes are involuntary. And they were there just there to support Mark, there to support Travis and get that, get that guy through the race, man. It was amazing. Yeah. They couldn't have picked two better teammates oh. with Shane and Danelle. Yeah. hundred percent. That yeah. was, that was very impressive what they did too. Cause as you can imagine, like they're top, top racers mm-hmm. and they could be racing at the top of the field and, to put that aside for that experience was amazing. Mm, yeah. Just, uh, just curious, where did USA finish? The top USA team was, that was Bend racing, which was just past, were they 15th or 13th or something? Yeah. They were like 15th. They yeah. didn't have a great showing. Well, um, just, no, but to be wondering. fair, but hang on to be fair to that team in the first leg, that, that paddling leg, the one gentleman got heat stroke and got hit hard with it. Like he was, I thought that was the end of their race, to be honest. And they powered through and they were in 53rd or something at one point and then ended up in 15th. So to be fair to them, they, they raced a pretty incredible race in and of themselves. Yeah. So they had the healthy rivalry between Canada. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> There's actually the one us team they focused on a little bit with Mike closer on the team. Yes. That was I mean, he's, he's a bit older now as well, but they, they, he's won the event numerous times in the past. So that was, you know, a shocker that they made a big navigation mistake on the, it would have been the first night of the race. Mm. And when all those teams got caught behind that first dark zone or when they shut the course down because of the storm, they kind of unfortunately had lost touch with the front of the race and it was going to be really hard for them to catch back up. So the U S has some strong teams that aren't reflected in, in the results of this one, but it was nice to beat them again. That's for sure. That's the interesting thing about, about this type of racing though. Anything can happen, right? Anything can happen at any time. So, and the, totally. and the big thing here that I like to take away on a nationalistic standpoint is, you know, drop Canadian anywhere in the world and we're going to perform. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so really quickly to finish up here, uh, Ryan's a new guy. He's never, he's never venture raced before, you know, doesn't matter how old he is or whatever, young, old in between. What are kind of the first steps? Like where do, where do we start? Is there any, is there any kind of websites? Is there anything we should do? Any other races, any other things you can say to a young person or a new person in the sport? Yes. I mean, there's so many ways to get into it. A lot of people come from individual sports. So Ryan was saying he was, you know, paddling growing up. So there's paddling clubs all over the province. You can start to learn to paddle kind of, those are the three main disciplines, paddling, mountain biking, and running or trekking. So in all of those sports, you're going to find like weekly mountain bike series, there's weekly trail running series. And then the other big thing that we haven't talked about is the navigation Mm. side, orienteering. And there's orienteering clubs all over the province as well. So basically, that's the first step is learning some basic, you know, skills in those disciplines. But then the fun part is putting together your team, you know, find some friends that you want to go out and and have a good time with and learn something about yourself and have a good time in the bush. And then you come out with this awesome experience on the other end that you've shared. Um, It's kind of like going on a you can liken it to like a boys canoe trip weekend or something like that, but it's on steroids a little bit. <laughs> so what's next for Bob? Do you have any coming up or is maybe naked and afraid in the cards anywhere? Naked or, and uh... <laughs> That's child's play. Never mind. Oh, <laughs> uh, could you imagine? Well, they were supposed to host the next eco challenge in Patagonia, but it's all on hold with the pandemic. Everything's on hold right now. So 
my wife and I, we're, we're in endurance sports enthusiasts. So we're planning for like some more local endurance based stuff. So there's uh, the, the Cloche Silhouette Trail in Killarney Provincial Park. It's like an 80 kilometer, horrendously rugged trail. And we're going to go and try and run it in a day kind of thing. So just some silly stuff like just that cause. to keep us focused and keep us training. It's hard to train when you don't have something to focus on, right? Yeah. You're also planning a couple of events. Well, at, at some point planning your wilderness traverse event, if, if we can, that's now yeah, wh- we're, I mean, we're hopeful and we're trying to stay positive with this pandemic that we can host some mass gathering style events, but it's anyone's guess, you know, what happens this summer. So, but at some point we'll return to normalcy and we'll get the events happening again. But you know, our fingers are crossed. We can do something later in the summer. The good thing with these events is they're outside and we can keep people distance mm-hmm. quite easily once they're racing it's just kind of the the gathering the before and after so we're trying to figure out plans for that so we can get approval to run these things so having started it in my 30s and you know kind of jumped into it then my recommendation to the general public would be to start with a shorter race than a 24 hour 150 kilometer race even though we did um, <laughs> even though that you know what it was actually kind of interesting that we did that because it really pushed us to our limit right away we just trained and trained however we could and then boom straight into that and it was like that was the if that was the worst it was going to be going into the four hour or eight hour race we did the following summer or spring was nothing comparatively um yeah. so it, it wasn't terrible so, i mean this is a, a funny thing with this sport and we look upon failure in a certain way in our society and you know it's got a negative connotation but with our sport with expedition racing the amount that you guys learn taking on that bigger longer event would surpass what you would have learned at like three four or five of the shorter events so yeah you failed but and that's, this is the other thing i'm trying to change the perception of with these events is you know just because you don't make it to the finish line on your first or second try you shouldn't feel so bad i see the the looks on people's faces sometimes when they've dropped out and it's really hard to watch them because they don't understand yet what they've just learned and what they're Mm going to take away from the event and they have this negative feeling and i wish there was some way to change that but i think you have to feel that to get the positive out the other side and then when you do accomplish the goal, it makes it that much more meaningful. So that was good. But yeah, us. back to getting started. I mean, the longer the event you you, you start out with, you're going to learn a ton. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of a hard thing, but it's definitely better to st- probably start with the stepping stone races. Well, uh, there was there was a couple people in the Eco Challenge that were first time adventure racers, which is totally. like that's Lost. incredible, right? So totally, yeah, big my- time. Yeah, and you could really see they had the. Some of them had the the skills down pat, but the teams that usually succeeded, they had the teamwork side down pat and the mental side. That's always the big the big thing in these events, especially the really long ones. Mm-hmm. If the team's getting along and you know they're not giving up, that's that's everything. My uh, my family and I we use a a saying in our coaching. We say there's no such thing as failure. There's only results. It's what you do with the results that matter. So when you're saying, you know, you failed the race, well, you didn't fail the race. You got a result from the race. What are you going to do with these results? Now you can see where you need improvement or not. Totally. Love it. Totally. Well, a second week in a row, Ryan finishes the podcast with a nice little corker of a saying. I love it. I'm eloquent. I'm just an eloquent man. He's full of them. Well, Bob, Ryan, thank you for having this chat. It's been fun. 
and giving us some insight. Uh, if you would like to go on Amazon Prime TV now, you can watch Bob kill it on the Eco Challenge Fiji, the world's toughest race. We'll put some of the links down below. Thanks for coming on, everyone. Go Canada, go. Go Canada. Thanks, guys. That was another episode of The Underground. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Also, follow Justin on Facebook and see what he's up to in the real estate world at Justin Long Carrick. And check out what Ryan is doing on the ice at more.hockey.